Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Jack's Corner. I'm Tarzan Bonanno, and again, we are here with Jack Biggle himself, our founder. Today, we are going to be talking about your personal background in the church, as opposed to professional and just growing up in general. So, as every week, where do you want to start with here? Well, I'll start with first, Lord Jesus Christ. and Glory to him Hello. forever. Um, yeah, it's a great, great pleasure to be here again and, and uh, have this chat with uh, Tarzan. Um, I guess, uh, you know, the best place to start is the very beginning, um, day zero or day one, the day I was born. Um, both of my grandparents, or all four of my grandparents and both of my parents belong to the same Byzantine Greek Catholic Church in Duquesne, Pennsylvania by the name of Saints Peter and Paul. And um, so I was, you know, born into the Greek Catholic Church from, from day one. Uh, Father Stephen Loya of the famous Loya priestly family was the pastor uh, with his large family. Back in those days, our church had married clergy um, and uh, he had a very, very large family. And I'm told, the reason he was assigned to St. Peter and Paul in Duquesne is because it had the largest parish house to handle all of his kids. Um, and I think I think the number is that he had 16 children, uh, all told. 16 uh, them, children. 16 children. Two of them became priests. One was a nun. Uh, and, of course, he had many, many grandchildren and, and on and on. Um, and he was my pastor up until when I uh, graduated from high school. So uh, he was he was uh, in Duquesne. I think he was in Duquesne 40 years until he retired in 1972 when I graduated high school. So, so real quick, real quick, you said that um, back in the day you had married clergy. Wasn't there the case, wasn't it the case that they had to come from another country to be a married clergy until recently in the Eastern Catholic Church? Yeah, uh, well, it it varied uh, from church from from church to church in the sense of the Melkites had sort of one set of policies, the Ukrainians had another set, Ruthenians a third set, and so forth. So each of those different jurisdictions uh, had a different approach, but the uh, the clergy the married clergy ban was put into effect uh, in, I think, 1929 by a papal encyclical called Cum Dada Furet. Uh, it's Latin for, I don't know what the first words were, but that's the name of it. And it was uh, that the, the Pope had issued this decree that uh, men in America could not be ordained to the priesthood if they were married and that married clergy could no longer come from Europe at that point in time, so 1929. Now, Father Stephen Loya predated all of that, and he did come from uh, Eastern Europe. I'm not sure what year he emigrated, uh, but uh, he, he was born and raised, as was his wife, and I believe his wife was related to the Bokshai family, and also uh, she was a distant relation to the old uh, Austro-Hungarian uh, um, royal family, the Hungarian royal family of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Um, 
And uh, I think her name was Margaret, uh, but she was always known as Punny, which was the familiar term for the priest wife. And uh, since she was there with so many kids and he was there for so long, uh, they were they were kind of an institution in and of themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, they were very heavily involved in the church. Father Stephen Loya was also somewhat famous and that he worked with Father Julius Grigacy in publishing prayer books back in the 30s and 40s for our church. He was uh, one of the sort of English editors and helped Father Father Grigacy with some of the books that I'm now selling. Yeah, the fact. one that we mentioned in the first episode. That's it. Right. Nice, nice. Uh, that, I, my pastor helped with the original English translation that went into that book. Uh, so I grew up uh, in in that church. Uh, we had catechetical uh, religious ed. Um, uh, back in those days, we had our we did not have our own program, and so we were using the Roman Catholic Baltimore Catechism. Uh, which is a whole bunch of questions and answer. Who is God? Why did God make me? And then you had these, you know, sort of fixed answers that you had to recite back uh, to the teacher. Um, and in my parish, because we had a large parish, we had large classes, uh, we had gazillion sisters from Uniontown who would come every Sunday and they were our teachers. Uh, we didn't have lay teachers until much later when I was in high school and, and after after I left and, and graduated. But when I was a, a young boy, we had we had uh, a bazillion sisters uh, as, as our teachers. Bazillion, you mean? It, it, there's, it's the sisters that are in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. Okay. And their formal uh, order is called the Order of St. Basil the Great. Oh, okay, okay. Same and so they're known as Brazilians. Okay. Sorry, I, I, the, the, the more familiar term, the, the shortcut for OSBM. <laughs> okay. No, because you said it. I'm like, Brazilian. We're not we're not making up numbers here, are we? <laughs> but, yeah, no, 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 no. It was not a no. Brazilian in terms of a huge number. But, but what uh, I wanted but, to say, though, thanks for that. After that, I don't know why that jogged my memory. Yeah, the Baltimore Catechism was definitely, I bought it. I bought a compendium of all the catechisms when I converted. The Baltimore Catechism, the question and answer really threw me off. The question and answer format threw me off. I, I much preferred the uh, the streamlined catechism we have uh, right. as for, right. for reading purposes. Yeah. Um, so one of the, one of the, uh... The biggest events that I can remember, and it's because I get pictures of it, of course, uh, is uh, it, back in those days uh, when you were in second grade, as the Roman Catholics did, uh, a big deal was at the end of the school year, you made your first Holy Communion. Um, and we did not have infant communion back then, as we do today, uh, because we were trying to be like the Roman Catholics and not give communion to infants. Uh, and so you you received your first Holy Communion at the age of seven uh, or eight, uh, but at the end of second grade. And my parish was so large that our second grade class, so all the students that made first Holy Communion in 1962, uh, there were 40 of us in one class from one parish. 
and you had to process, right? Yes. 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 The yes. procession uh, story. Yeah, the procession story. I already told about that. So, so yeah, that was the big thing you know, when I was in second grade. And then after that, um, I think around fourth or fifth grade, the cantor took me aside and taught me how to chant the epistle. And so I became an epistle reader. Uh, and then uh, uh, in in high school, I was in charge of the altar servers. And we had a huge number of altar servers that we did rehearsals. Um, and, and have I told the story of, of uh, when we had teams and the assistant pastor had a competition for us? No, no, you did not tell that story. Okay. So when I was, um, I think probably about eight or nine, uh, we had a, a new assistant priest come because we had such a large parish. We needed two priests to serve. Uh, we had almost a thousand people, I think. Um, and his name was Father John Petro, uh, a blessed memory, who passed away last year, was the seminary rector and uh, a number of other titles. But back when he was first a young priest, he came as the assistant in Duquesne, and he was put in charge of the altar boys. So he organized all of us into four-person teams. You'd have two older boys that would handle the incenser, and two younger boys that carried torches that were glass candle uh, with big long uh, poles. And we would hold them all through the liturgy where we stood in front of the altar. Uh, and then we would hold them up in procession as we would do processions. We even had to hold them up when we would kneel at the time of the consecration and communion. So it was it was tricky uh, Much- learning how to much much stronger and much more durant uh much stronger than i i just uh was part of a rosary rally and i could barely hold up the umbrella for the hour that we were praying it the other thing i'm just remembering now is when we knelt down there was a carpet that went up the center of the altar three steps to where the main altar itself was yes um on the side of the altar or the carpet was the altar which was made out of um marble Mm -hmm. and we would have to kneel on the marble we had no kneelers we had no pads we kneeled on the marble uh itself a very very hard surface so we had some tough knees back in those days Uh, yeah i had to get that by uh, martial martial art training uh, teams of four and so when Father John came, uh, he would put out a schedule and each team would have, you know, a different liturgy. We had two liturgies every Sunday. The morning liturgy at 830 was the English for the young people. And the 1030 was for the older folks in Church Salonic. And the teams rotated through the month every week, a different teams scheduled for each Sunday and so forth. Um, Which was your favorite? School, oh, I went, I would... Uh, in fact, when I was not serving, I would go to the church Salonic liturgy with my grandfather. Um, my parents took my sisters to the English one. They were in the choir. But I, I wanted to go with, with my grandfather. So my mother would drive, pick my grandfather up, and he would always go to the church Salonic liturgy. And I would sit with him in the pew, and then she would come and we'd either walk home after or she'd come and get us. Because my grandfather lived about, oh, I don't know, maybe a mile from the church. And my grandmother, grandfather... Uh, and my grandmother would go to the early liturgy with my parents and sisters, and then I would go to the 
1030 with my grandfather. And even on the Sundays when I would be scheduled to serve for the 830, I would still go to the 1030 liturgy. You just uh, show up, be like, I'm I'm going I, to two ma- two divine liturgies. Yep. I, I just I enjoyed the church Salonic and I my grandfather had a great tenor voice. Uh and uh, he and I would just sing along uh the liturgy. And so I learned the church Salonic liturgy by heart. Uh, even before I got to high school. Uh, so so we'd had these four teams, and, and at the end of the school year, there was a competition, and every time we served, we would get a grade of how well we did. And at the end of the school year, Father John would tally up all the grades, and the serving team with the highest grade got a special treat. Well, it turned out the team I was on won the competition. Um, and the treat was to go for for a fancy dinner with Father John um, to one of the famous restaurants called the Oliver Restaurant in downtown Pittsburgh. Uh, it was in the golf building, one of the old famous stone sort of sort of high-rise buildings of Pittsburgh. But that was the big deal to go from Duquesne up the river, the small little town, into the city of Pittsburgh and go out for this special dinner was a really, really big deal. And that was the that was the prize for uh, doing the best altar serving of our parish. And uh, did you win? Yes. Yep, we did. Uh, and and went went to lunch with Father John, and uh, he and I had been. We're, we're best of friends ever since then. That was like 1968, 69. Um, so, um, you know, that's been, you know, almost 50 years that I've known him. That's no, beautiful. Over 50, over 50. Yeah, 1970 to 20 is 50. So over 50 years, I knew Father John. You stayed in touch with him? Oh, yeah. He was my spiritual director uh, when I was in the deacon program. Um, and, uh, then uh, he and I worked together uh, when he was seminary rector. When he lived in, uh, in in Europe for five years at the North American College of Leuven in Belgium, and I was working at the time out of our London office, and I had business on the continent. I was always trying to make arrangements to have a weekend for my business trip and go visit and stay with him uh, in Belgium, and we would go down to the little. Eastern Catholic Church that he had the key to in the center of of uh, Brussels, and uh, we would have the Divine Liturgy just the two of us. Yeah, I mean you can't really have the Divine Liturgy with just one person like you can uh, with the the Latin Mass. That's right. That's right. The priest has to have someone there uh, to sing the responses and and participate in sharing the Eucharist, uh, and he very rarely was able to do a Byzantine liturgy because there were no other Byzantines at the college. They were all Roman Catholics. So he would have to, he would, you know, only go to the Roman mass on weekends, con celebrate, he would preach sometimes. And it pretty much was only when I came that I could canter for him uh, and participate. And so me being there for the weekend was a big treat for him. And of course it was a big, big treat for me uh, to have a liturgy with Father John. And one year, it happened to be on my birthday. So it was an extra, extra oh, happy special. birthday to you. <laughs> but you yeah, didn't try, you didn't try to do what you did in U of R? 
No, uh, no. Uh, didn't... I, I, I didn't get there that often. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you still could have brought it. Just bring... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that 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 was that was growing up in high school. Um, uh, I, I've already talked about the time in college where I brought in a priest uh, mm-hmm. to try to teach the others what the Byzantine Church was like. Um, and then when I graduated from college, I got a job here in Washington, D.C. Um, at the federal government. And I started going to the Byzantine Church in Beltsville, um, which was closest to Capitol Hill where I was living. Uh, but then after about a year and a half or so, I moved to an apartment in Oxon Hill, Maryland. Um, and you would think Oxon Hill, Maryland was close to Beltsville, Maryland, but it wasn't. Uh, because it was just across the river from Virginia. And so it was actually a fast, quicker drive down the Beltway to get to uh, Epiphany Church in Annandale for me than it was to go all the way up to Beltsville from where I lived in Oxen Hill. So I started going to Epiphany, um, you know, pretty soon after I moved to Washington uh, around 1977, 78, uh, and had been a member uh, pretty much ever since, except for the six years that I was living away in Houston and London. Uh, but I got I got very involved with the Epiphany Church. I volunteered uh, not only to cantor because I had you know grown up with chanting the epistle and taught myself how to sing when I was in college. You know the story of the liturgy. Uh, so I I became a cantor at Epiphany um, and then volunteered to be one of the catechists. Um, but I didn't get into any of the specific theology or grades. And since I had no kids, I wasn't so good with, with you know, sort of particular students. Um, so I offered to be the music teacher for the School of Religion. <laughs> and we did not have uh, the large buildings we have now. We just had the main church and classrooms. We had four that were that was in a temporary trailer set up next to the rectory. And so um, we would only have four classes at a time uh, in the period between the liturgies when we had religious ed. So there would be four classes that would meet in the trailer. The other four grades in front of one to eight would meet with me in the church and we would have uh, a singing class. And I would teach them certain hymns out of the uh, hymnal or certain songs that we would sing during the liturgy uh, and explain to them how they fit into the liturgy. Uh, And then halfway through the hour and a half between liturgies, we would switch kids. And the kids I had would go to school and the kids that were in class would come back into the church and I'd go through the same rigmarole with with them. Um, Were they picking up where you were laying down? Yeah, they were, you know, uh, the kids were were doing pretty good. Um, and in uh, December, we would have the St. Nicholas program. And I would help out with uh, with that program. And the kids would sing, you know, a couple of different songs for as part of that program, along with we did plays and a few skits and other things. And then, of course, St. Nicholas would come and give out, you know, cookies and, and you know, say everybody uh, typical St. Nicholas, like parishes in Pennsylvania do. Um, I remember the one year, though, I really wanted to do something that would relate to the kids. And so I taught the youngest grades. So this is grades one through four 
you know, this, the youngest kids, six grade, you know, ages roughly six to nine, uh, six to 10. Um, back in those days, the most popular thing that was out was the Muppet movie. Love the Muppet and movie. So, Apparently so, there was a second there. There was a second, like a scene there uh, that was filmed on my, on my old street where I used to live in New York. Oh, wow. Apparently okay. there's a scene. I was like, oh. So every time I'm there, I'm like, yeah, I'm, wa- I'm walking on Muppet Road. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the first movie had a song, uh, Rainbow Connection. Mm-hmm. And so I taught the kids how to sing all the all the words to Rainbow Connection. And for the St. Nicholas program, we had the kids sing that for the rest of the parish. And it was a big hit. <laughs> I'm trying so hard not to sing it, but we don't want a copyright strike. No, right, right. Um, so that, that was my recollection of my early days at Epiphany, um, was uh, helping out with religious ed and, and doing the music in St. Nicholas program. And uh, uh, I don't think I'll, well, I'll, I'll mention something. One St. Nicholas year, um, we thought of, of a uh, interesting skit where um, we had a speaker that would read the poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And we set up a stage in front of the Iconostas because the church was our auditorium. We had to use multi-purpose. We had no big, big room. Yeah. Uh, the, but at least you had, you, at least you had one now. Yeah, we do have one now. Yeah. Uh, the hall now. was set up for the meal. So we had to have the program up in the church. And and I, at those days, I had a dinner theater where I had some old leftover stages that I carried in when we finished with Compline service. We carried the stage in put a drop over the icon screen and created a stage uh, that was, you know, a house with a fireplace where uh, Santa Claus would mime what was being said in the program or in the, in the poem by the narrator. And guess who got to play Santa Claus? You. Yep. (laughs) Um, I mean, back in those days, Back in those days, I needed a, a pillow to add some padding. I don't need the padding anymore, but I needed a pillow to uh, to fill me out. But I, I so I played. You need uh, the white spray, the white spray for your beard. Yep, yep, I had a white beard and white hair and a cap, and I had the whole Santa Claus outfit. Um, and because of the way the poem goes, you know, of course, Santa Claus appears down the chimney, right? How'd that and work? So we had a hole cut in the backdrop where the chimney was with a black drape over it. And we had some chairs at the right height behind it that went into through the deacon doors into the sanctuary. And so I got up onto these chairs and crawled on my hands and knees through the curtain opening and came out onto the stage through the opening that was the fireplace. (laughs) Pretty clever. Uh, so then I go through all the actions of Santa Claus doing the things that are in, you know, and then it comes to the line and putting a finger side of his nose, you know, he turned and up the chimney he rose. So I did the, the finger thing, twisted around, got a little dizzy, got down to my hands and knees, crawled out back through the opening in the fireplace. But my rear end facing the audience, I got stuck. And I couldn't get through. (laughs) 
Oh my god. Uh if the audience just laughing their heads off. Look at it be trying to cl- crawl back through the chimney. Have you heard that song by uh, uh, I, uh it might have been by somebody else. I I heard it from Alvin and the Chipmunks. Santa Claus got stuck in the chimney. No, I haven't. Santa Claus got stuck in the chimney. It, yeah. <laughs> oh, there is one. Oh, okay. Well, around yeah. 19 1978-79, I I got stuck myself and uh so finally I, I, just, that came out. <laughs> I just flopped down on my stomach and rolled through the opening to get off the stage and uh, the audience was howling. I'm not sure how many people realized, you know, it was me. I'm probably, I'm sure everyone did, but anyway, that was, that was one of my, relax, it, one of more humorous remembrances from Epiphany. Mm. Then I went off to Houston for three years uh, and joined up. Uh, we had just opened a parish. Uh, Father Robert Carl uh, had moved down there from Pittsburgh, and I knew him. He was another. Uh, he actually came to my parish at St. Peter Paul when Father Loya retired. So he was there all the years I was in college. So I got to know him pretty well. And one of the reasons I took the job in Houston was because he was there. And he was starting up a Byzantine Ruthenian parish, uh, St. John Chrysostom. I became one of his cantors, uh, uh, but I was traveling so much and with my job that I couldn't do a whole lot else around the parish, but come and canter weekends. And uh, Father Bob was starting missions in both Austin, Texas and Dallas, Texas. Mm. And he had the, the largest group was in Dallas and he would fly up there on Southwest Airlines every week to have liturgy at the University of Dallas until they bought a house and started a, you know, their own little uh, chapel. And one year for Holy Week, um, he was going to go up. Uh, he was going to do uh, Holy Week, or sorry, not Holy Week, Great Friday Vespers, and then Resurrection Matins and Liturgy all in a three-hour period because he could only afford to make one trip. Yeah, do it so all. Yeah. Combine the whole weekend into one time period and he asked me to go with him because he said the group up there can canter a liturgy but all the special melodies and special hymns that we need for vespers and resurrection matins they don't know so i flew up with him um for that that year of easter and cantered uh, good friday resurrection matins and the liturgy all at one time um how sore was your voice after? Oh, it was, yeah, I was, I was worn out. Uh, I didn't sing back in Houston that weekend. The other <laughs> cantors sort of took over. Uh, so I, I was, yeah, I was pretty worn out. Plus, plus the flight was, you know, it's not easy to get on an airplane uh, that on and off in one day. You know, we flew up, spent How four or five hours flight? on the ground and then flew back. We didn't stay overnight or anything. How long was the flight? Well, the flight was an hour. Okay. Um, and but then we'd spend four or five hours on the ground and yeah. then we'd fly back. Uh, and also, I don't, I'm assuming it was pr- uh, a little bit of time before you got off the plane each time, too, getting everybody yeah. ready. Yeah. 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 But back both the, back in those days, now remember this was, you know, prior uh, to 9 11. <laughs> exactly. And so security in airports wasn't nearly what it is today. And Southwest Airlines, flew from Houston to Dallas 
like every hour, like a bus. <laughs> and and they did not have uh, seat assignments. You got a card that you um, picked up when you showed up at the airport, and that was the sequence number for boarding purposes. Uh, and you just got on and you took any the first seat available, the first one you wanted. So it was like you got on the bus, you flew to Dallas, and you got off the bus. You know, mm-hmm. walk, and we were just there for a few hours. We had no luggage. So we'd get off. We'd go meet someone from the parish that was there to pick us up. We'd go over to the, the chapel of the university, and uh, we did the services. We'd have a little coffee and donuts, and we'd drive back to the airport and get the next flight back to Houston. Uh, I mean, at least the drive, at least the flight wasn't too long. No, right. So, and I I learned that Father Bob, because he did this weekly, was on so many of the Southwest flights that he got to know the flight attendants very, very well. They recognized him because he was, you know, one of the few people at a college. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he would, and he was a very gregarious kind of guy. And, you know, it was embarrassing. Confessions in the bathroom? Uh, No, not quite that. But when he walked on the plane, he'd have his collar on with a black shirt, so everybody knew he was a priest. He'd run over to these stewardesses that he would know, and he'd give them a big kiss and a hug. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of embarrassing. Uh, then I went to London for three years, and um, the only experience I had there was I tried to go to the Ukrainian Catholic Cathedral in downtown London um, that was all in Ukrainian. All the people there spoke Ukrainian. And since I didn't know any Ukrainian at all, uh, they would sort of all say to me in the best English they could muster, well, what are you doing here? Why are you here? So I only went once or twice. And then from then on, I had a cassette tape of the choir singing from Epiphany Church. And I put that on before the days of a lot of choirs making liturgy recordings. And so I put the tape on and I just sit and pray on Sundays from my home uh, in London. Hmm. So that was that was my early background in the church. Uh, I came back from London, 1991. I've been here at Epiphany and living in the same house. And then by 1993, I started my hobby of publishing books, which is a whole nother set of stories. A whole nother journey, which yeah. we will be getting into. I believe it's next week that we move into the beginnings official. Yep. How you started, oh, uh, the the yep. conferences. That's next week. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's yeah. So that gets us the '90s, and yeah, I started Eastern Christian Publications and the Oriental Illumin Conferences uh, in those years. Uh, so we can talk about that next time. And I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well. I think that uh, finishes up this part of the story. I'm looking forward to next week because uh, this is where most of the people who are here come from. Uh, the OL conferences and the adult enrichment lectures. All right. Well, then, thank you, everybody, for coming for the third week in a row to listen to Jack's story. Uh, we thank you. And uh, have a good rest of your week. Don't forget about the lectures being posted every Thursday. God bless. Bye-bye for now.